2: The score! This hour is being brought to you by Team Hochberg. Visit their website, 56David.com. That's 56David.com.
0: Mark Grody Bears. covering the Bears for 670, the score. Hey, here's what's going on. So Excuse you guys me. could all stop. Mark Grody with Bernstein and home.
2: Ron, is there anything else that you think they need or could use? More Mark Grody.
0: On the score.
2: Mark Grody joins us from the Combine in Indianapolis on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, some of the world's largest sports book. All right, Groats, the Bears' hit two words is all yours. What do we need to know?
3: Well, Lawrence, I am uh, weaving my way through Radio Row right now looking for a quiet spot. And I think I have survived and I have made it through the maze. And now I'm in a spot where I can conduct my report without being worried about other broadcasters. But anyway, uh, cornerbacks um, today, along with safety and special teams and... And we can get into some of the stuff with the Bears and their potential needs in the secondary, which I think we should do. But I want to start this Bears hit by playing some audio from a former teammate of Justin Fields's. He is in this year's draft. He is Ohio State cornerback Cam Brown. And I want, I want you to listen to this, and everybody in their cars listening to Lawrence Holmes right now on the score because. You're gonna you're gonna know exactly why this guy is biting his tongue, which you are about to hear. He was asked specifically first to start this off. What do you think about the noise about Justin Fields and some of the the articles suggesting that he betrayed it? Here we go.
4: I don't think they're gonna do that. I think that they believe in Justin and I believe he's a great player. So that would be, I would say, a mistake. But I just don't believe that they will do that.
5: What do you think of him and what he's done is for?
4: I feel like. <laughs> That's gonna be it. okay. Uh he did he had he had a great he had a great season. I mean, he has he's a great player, I mean, but uh he can he need mm.
2: he, can he needs help. We all need I'm not gonna say that.
3: That's <laughs> outstanding. He needs help. Isn't that great?
2: I, I look I, I think that it's okay for you to say, hey, I, clearly he needs help, but I understand a a player wanting to be very careful. About what they say, so that they end up getting drafted by someone.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't. This is not the place to step out of line or to say something that is borderline hot take or controversial. But as one of the reporters there helped him out, I and mean, we all knew what he was getting at right there that give this dude some weapons, put some things around him. And uh, maybe you'll start to see the magic that uh, Cam Brown felt that he saw in Justin Fields at Ohio State. So, yeah, I thought that was the... the ironically, you know, the best cornerback quote is about Justin Fields. But, I mean, we, we talk so much about all the other obvious areas of needs uh, need for the Bears. And, you know, defensive line and offensive line feeling like the biggest. But, look, they... they uh, things are far from squared away in the Bears secondary right now. I mean, we know Jalen Johnson is great. I mean, he's gonna hopefully he eventually gets an extension and he's a starting cornerback from the Bears for a long time. That's obvious. Kindleville Vildor had a better year last year for the Bears. Played better but early,
2: and, and, but late it was kind of like ah, uh, there are some of the things that we don't like about him.
3: There was the regression back to the mean, exactly, uh-huh. for him toward, towards the end of it. So you can't even come close to say, even though he was one of those outside starters, um, until they started, you know, kind of shifting Kyler Gordon out there. And some of it was out of need because, remember, there was that one game where they were like, Zero familiar names starting in the secondary. You started to have to get into some of the some of the guys, some of the undrafted guys, and some of the the rookies as well that were on this team. You know, Jalen Jones is another guy. I thought that he played all
2: right, though. I thought Jalen Jones played pretty solidly for a Uh, young man tasked to come in and do some stuff.
3: Hey, man, I thought he played well. I thought that Josh Blackwell. Played, played pretty well when he got a chance. Even my guy, Harris Hand, Harrison Hand, got in. And they all seemed to comport themselves well, but they just kind of seem like rank-and-file guys. You know what I mean? Like the, the perfect guys to plug in and play on a team like the Bears last year that wasn't going to do anything. Now, could guys like Josh Blackwell... And and some of these other guys, even even Kendall Vildor, um, could, could they, Jalen Jones, could they provide great depth? Yeah, I think that's ideally where those guys can be. So all of this to say, Lawrence, that, you know, just, just getting to know some of these cornerbacks today. I don't think Cam Brown is going to be on their board. He's just too injury prone. But some of the other interesting prospects that spoke today... Including, uh, this is a size draft with some of the top guys, man. Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State, who had a massive crowd around him today. 6'2", 194. Christian Gonzalez, this dude's a straight athlete. Kid out of Oregon. 6'2", and 201. And for a lot of people the the number one number one ranked cornerback I was just talking to to our guy, short timer Jeff Joniak who said that 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 <laughs> the kid from Illinois he, he is man I'm telling you. he's like Joniak's like hey can you send me this audio because I'm like I'm like dude you're a lame duck employee I yeah. can't just I can't one be one foot out stuff. the
2: door man Jeff Joniak yeah
3: jonesy this is proprietary stuff man this is audio i mean i you, you're yeah i don't i don't know what what you think here you know so but but he has for whatever it's worth the great jeff joniak has devin witherspoon of illinois on the top of his chart for cornerbacks and a lot of people do um unfortunately, I was just in the the interview room, and he is apparently having some issues with medicals. I am not reporting that he is injured, but he has, apparently, we were told that he was having an MRI performed and that he still might talk to us today. Um, so we'll find out. I'm definitely anxious to, to hear from him because he is considered one of the best in the country. Now, he is smaller than, uh, that's like one of the digs on him. You know, he's something like 5'11, 180, but, you know, that's size for a lot of the cornerbacks, although ideally you'd like somebody a little bit bigger. But he, he is an absolutely terrific player and had a great year at Illinois. Targeted 63 times and only allowed 22 catches. So I'm hoping to, to talk to him a little bit later on.
2: Gross, what number combine is this for you? Three, four?
3: I think this is five. Because five. I was wow. To, I was trying to figure it out. So I started covering the Bears in eighteen. So eighteen. Oh yeah. That, yeah. 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 Eighteen was the year. The 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 Cody Parkey year. The Matt Nagy magic year. It was a what? Twenty eighteen actually will go down as one of those magical regular seasons that the Bears like sort of like two thousand one. When they, I think they won 13 games under Dick Turan, and then they got Hugh Douglas against Philadelphia in the playoffs, and we all know exactly what happened to the Bears uh, this past year. But going, th- but let's see here. So 2019 was 2020 the year. God, pandemic. What was the pandemic elimination? Was no, it's 2021. So. Three, four. Yeah, this is my fifth. This would be my fifth. So I missed one because of the pandemic.
2: So the reason that I ask you this is, like, obviously, like, you've made the transition from baseball guy to football guy now. In in your time as football guy, can you remember anything as weird as covering this Jalen Carter story at the Combine?
3: Because now he's back. Now he's back, right? Oh yeah, I don't know that I in terms of yes, he's back. I, I I've not seen him here and i did ask somebody inside is there any chance that they'll roll him out and i was told no no <laughs> the, no because that, because no. of
2: the medicals the, because of the medicals that's why he's that's not right, gonna talk yeah,
3: yeah yeah and like they did yesterday like they're telling us oh yeah it's, it's him and five other guys like they, they put him in a group with five other people who are having medical issues but yeah like i'm trying to think if there is another precedent at least in my career in covering guys who have had that yeah it's kind of i, I got to be honest with you there is something refreshing about it because typically if somebody is asked to go away because of the law they're gone and that's it but but Jalen Carter it's like all right we i was processed bailed and all that kind of stuff and now he is back on the premises so yeah um, god i don't i don't think that there is anything like I mean, plenty of times where you have obviously issues with players, but the way the the you know sort of bright lights of the way all of this has been handled, it, I think is probably unprecedented.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's very very wild. Um, I I meant to ask you this a couple of days ago, and and now I have the opportunity to to ask you this. What are people saying about what's happening with Green Bay? And what's been your experience dealing with the, the the Green Bay people as they try to figure out what the hell is up with Aaron Rodgers?
3: Yeah, it's fun like just listening to him, and now he's going to be soul searching what's what's right for him and his career. Can, can
2: I make a suggestion that that both yeah. he and the host of the podcast occasionally wash their feet?
3: <laughs> yeah, that would that would be that would be very nice. Um, but I. I think that they've been through this thing before. You know, that's the vibe I get from from the Packers people here. It's sort of a head shake. Like, they have to go through this in some way, shape, or form every single year. And every year, it's something different, and it feels different. So I, the feeling that I get, Lawrence, is that there are more and more people— I don't know about fans. I'm not going to speak for fans— but there's more people who can look at this team objectively and and say, you know what? It's time. It's time. You know, it's like at some point in time, I say it's time. It's time to move on at some point in time, you know, that being a pain in the ass is going to supersede what you know getting the getting the Packers to the playoffs and losing <laughs> you know so and they, and they've got Jordan Love sitting there too and they're anxious to see if if he actually has something beyond what he has shown so far so i just think it's this unfortunately for Green Bay people, it's just an exercise that they've had to go through every year for the last three or four years.
2: Yeah, it, it, it seems so annoying. And I, 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 I agree oh, yeah. with Aaron when he said, if you're annoyed by it, like you can just ignore it. And he's right about that. We we can just ignore it. But it is, it is something that really does have an effect on what goes on with the NFC North and with the Bears.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean we were throwing parties last year because it felt like it really felt like that was going to be it last season that, that Aaron Rodgers I mean hell there were those heavy duty rumors on draft night last year I, I remember like that was the big story because there was. I think it was the Schlereth report out of Denver that he was going he was gone he's going to Denver he's going to play with the Broncos um, and then all of a sudden, the Justin Fields stuff started, so none of us cared anymore. No, but but, but... Groach,
2: you're a hundred percent right. That felt like the best day in recent Bears history because while the Bears were were getting Justin Fields, there was also the, uh, the it looked like hey, also Aaron Rodgers is going to go away. It, it, it felt <laughs> yes. it, it felt like a party weekend oh, for yeah. for Bears
3: fans right the bears get this franchise altering quarterback and the the wicked witch of wisconsin is about to <laughs> about to trade himself off of the team and you know what like from a from a bears perspective it's like we even look at it and say yeah. come on you cut the crap either you're staying or you're going um so i can't get i don't know if you got a feel for whether he's he would actually push the topic and try to leave i don't think he will i don't think he will i think he will probably stay with green bay but you know they're gonna string this thing out as long as possible or he will string this out as long as possible
2: dan Weeder did a piece uh it was a really great piece in the tribune where he had talked to a bunch of people ab- about justin fields i know that you've been camped down there since the beginning of the week what's been the consensus of people that you've talked to when asking about justin fields
3: that's that's a great question. I, I was had a had a great talk with Chris Sims yesterday, and so I think I played a cut from that uh, for you guys. Actually, that yes, was Jalen, about Jalen Carter, but he's the best example because I, I asked him right away, and he just laughs. Uh, he goes, he goes, yeah. He goes. I'm a targeted man. He goes, I was a, I was dubbed a, quote, hater of Justin Fields. I don't remember what Chris Simms' opinions were, but apparently he was one of those that was down, didn't like the draft pick after his rookie year, was like, what are the Bears doing? And now he is flip-flopped 100% because of this past year, and it's because of the running specifically. He was like, dude, he's like, this guy might be the best runner of all time. He says, I think he's the best running quarterback um, in in the NFL better than Lamar Jackson right now and he said, look, this, this guy's the best athlete even if he's not playing the quarterback position And I'm not saying that he was suggesting that, that that you know he not play quarterback. And I asked him, I was like, hey, I said, well, if Justin Fields can be an average to good passer, um is that is that a makeup for a great quarterback like if you put the adjective you know uh, good is that good enough to when you put the superstar ability to run he says yes he says yes that he does not have to be a superstar electric you know necessarily Patrick Mahomes type of passer Josh Allen or any of these guys uh, that could fill it up he said, just be good, and Justin Fields, on the overall package, can be great to superstar level. So I think that one of the things that I have discovered, not just Chris Sims, but some other people too, that uh, that there was a lot of um, you know cynicism about Justin Fields after his rookie year, and then when everybody saw what they saw last year, it changed things. Now, everybody still does say the same thing, that, look, you... You, there, there's some technique things that he has to get better at in terms of throwing the ball. You know the the intermediate routes are something that Chris Sims mentioned as well. That you have to and, and Justin Fields has talked about that to taking what you're given the simple routes and Eberflus was kind of throwing that down as well. But yeah, it's amazing how much the complexion of Justin Fields has changed this year as opposed to after his rookie year last year. On the clock coming back tonight. On the clock, baby. We'll be on from uh, six to seven tonight. I've got so much audio from the combine that we will review. Um, you will hear from Ian Rappaport, who I did a lengthy interview with, um, and whatever comes our way tonight. So yes, six o'clock to seven o'clock uh, on the clock uh, is going down. To, actually, it's the debut, Lawrence. It's the debut tonight. This is the this is show number one. I love hearing that,
2: sir. I will be listening tonight, and and go do your thing as you always do.
3: Lawrence, always great to talk to you, man. I'll see you.
2: Yes, you will. That is Mark Brody. We will have another conversation with him tomorrow on the Bernstein and Home Show. Layla will be in for Dan. Just got an update from Dan. He's all set. They're on their way to Bucknell, so all's well that ends well, and Layla will be sitting in for him tomorrow. It's just the two of us and the boys hanging out until 2 o'clock today. Um Someone texted in and said, I will now only refer to Aaron Rodgers as the Wicked Witch of Wisconsin. I think that's a good line that Grody threw out there. But yeah, have you seen the video of Aaron Rodgers and the guy whose podcast he was on? I heard a little bit of it on the uh, afternoon show but, yesterday. But uh, you need to see gotta it. see I've, That's what I hear. You gotta see it so you can see the dirty feetses that they got going on there.
5: That's a barefoot
2: podcast, huh? I don't, I guess, I mean, look, that's the vibe you're going for. I, just wash them. Not watch, not watch my feet, because that's a Chicago classic. Wash your feet. That That is what I want those two guys to do. And I get it, you know, like sometimes you can't. You just kind of let the shower happen and all that good stuff. But why are you shaking your head, Mike Rankin? I want them to wash their feet. Watch my feet. No, I don't want you to wash their feet. I want them to wash their feet. That still feels good, dude. No. I'm gonna do something here. We have a segment. We had a segment planned where I was gonna talk to Dan about this, but I figure since I have White Sox fans here, I might as well ask White Sox fans. So I am going to unlock the phones. The phone number is 312 67 6767 Yesterday when I was talking about Pedro Grafol, and Pedro Grafol talking my language, talk your ish Pedro Grafol, Dan kind of reflexively was like, "Well, they they ruined the last 2 years and I'm having a hard time getting over that." So I thought that we could talk about this a little bit. You and I. The phone number is 312-644-6767. If you would rather text, you're more than welcome to do that. You can also hit us up on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 the score. Is what's happened over the last two years with the White Sox? How will that, how will that color how you feel about this year's White Sox team? I'm gonna answer my own question. I look forward to your feedback. My name is Lawrence Holmes. This
0: is the Bernstein and Holmes show here on the score. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes, Midday's 10-2-2 on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station.
1: They wasted two damn
0: years of our lives. Remember the stuff they said when they brought this idiot in here? He's forgotten more about baseball than you'll ever know. He's the best to ever do He's going to hold them to a high standard. The guy's won World Series. It was all crap. It was pointless. It set this team back, and I'm still mad about it. I'm not over it. <laughs>
2: Yesterday on the show I was doing what I thought was a fairly positive segment about Yeah, that's our music for when we do positive segments about the White Sox. I'm not sure that this will it'll be appropriate for this segment, but we'll find out. Maybe we end up getting there in a different way than usual. Huh? Well, listen, Tony. What we were doing yesterday, I was the more that I see, hear about or hear from Pedro Grafol, the more excited I am for his tenure as White Sox manager. Now, let me be very clear about something. Just because the manager has the right ideas on how to manage a team doesn't mean the team is going to respond. And that was some of the feedback I was getting from people via the text line and folks on Twitch yesterday as I was talking about this. Well, you know, there's still a bunch of blah, 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 blahs. How can you be excited about it? Look, when the White Sox fired Ricky Renteria, I completely got it. Like, I completely understood where they were coming from, and I understood why they felt the need to move on. Even though, if you listen to what Ricky said about the White Sox and what Pedro says about the White Sox, it's pretty much the same thing. But there's that two-year gap. but There's the two-year Larusa gap. I'm working through it, just so you know where I'm at on this. You heard what Dan said. Dan's still mad about it. I'm still working through a lot of my anger at the White Sox. For a lot, for myriad reasons, some reasons that don't have to do anything with you guys or like the team itself. It's It has to do with organizationally kind of how they act and how they've acted this offseason. I still have a lot of affection for the guys themselves for the most part, save one. I have a lot of affection for the guys on that team. I have a lot of belief wrapped up in... Eloy, and Tim Anderson, and Lucas Giolito, and Liam Hendricks, and Lance Lynn, on and on and on and on and on. So I've been trying to work through anger at the organization for myriad reasons versus love for team and for players. When we were going through the sound of Pedro Grafol yesterday, I thought it was Refreshing to hear him talk in a way that made sense from a baseball standpoint. Yes, we would like for our players to run hard. We understand if you hit a tapper back to the mound and you're clearly out, you don't have to go 100%. But there should be an excellent effort. There has been an emphasis on fundamentals.
4: We're going to attack every little margin. And the margins are kind of ingrained in the fundamentals.
2: Yeah. These are all things that White Sox fans have been begging for from their team over the last two seasons. Things that they felt like have been lost, that, that were slipping under Tony La Russa. My argument has been the White Sox acted as if Tony La Russa's resume was managing the team and not the guy. And not the guy at this point in his journey in baseball where he wanted to win. Like, I'm, I'm not going to, act like he didn't, but I'm not sure that he had the knowledge of the modern game, a knowledge of the rules of the modern game, and the energy to do the job the way that he used to do it.
5: Or the understanding of roster construction that the White Sox set up.
2: That's what I mean.
5: Organizational depth, like who's valuable on the 40-man
2: plus. Yes, I think that that is spot on, Mike Rankin. That that's one of the problems here. And I understand Dan's anger too. But it's interesting because it, it's... I believe it is how we how we deal with a lot of stuff as White Sox fans. There can't be good without bad. So in a segment that was really just us talking about, wow, Pedro Grifol seems like a a smart guy, that thing clicked in Dan's head of I'm angry, I'm still angry, and it's hard for me to live in a space where I can give the White Sox credit for anything. Now, I'm not there, although I I would say that my level of anger with the White Sox as an organization might be higher than Dan's. But I'm trying, I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying to be the shepherd. I'm trying to, I'm trying to compartmentalize this. I'm trying to put it on a different shelf and say, can you be fair to Pedro Graffol? Can you be fair to the practices that he's trying to put into place to get the White Sox to the place where we all hope that they can go? My question to you is, can you do that? Are you are you more like Dan than you are like me on this? Where there's some stuff that's happened with the White Sox over the last two and a half years that you're not willing to let go easily. Like, I do think that the White Sox are on a bit of a prove-it deal with the South Side. That there are a lot of White Sox fans that are, if you're watching me on Twitch, you can see it. That are just sitting there like this. With their arms folded. Going, yeah, go ahead and, and start off the season 20 and 10. Let's see that before I figuratively or literally buy in to what it is that you're selling. So I wanted to ask you, and some people are getting their thoughts in via the text line. I'll get to them in a minute. If you want to call in, you're more than welcome to do so. 312-644-6767. How has the last two years changed you as a White Sox fan? 312-644-6767. Now, I went to the 108. They're like Town Hall, their version of Sox Fest. and And – I hope that the White Sox understand that was a huge mistake by them. I know that they reportedly had a whole bunch of reasons on why there wasn't a Sox Fest. But I don't think that they have to be careful. Um, One of my issues with the White Sox as an organization is that I don't think that they do a good enough job Of taking advantage of layups. If you knew that the Mike Clevenger thing was getting ready to come down. If you were afraid that people were going to backlash against what's happened over the last two years. I think you completely misunderstand fandom. Because all fans wanted to do was air their grievances. To the people who can actually make change and then let it go. And then it's a party. Then it's a let's get ready for the season. And the White Sox missed that opportunity to do that. That's what Sox Fest is supposed to be. It's, it's just an opportunity for White Sox fans, maybe the, the most boisterous group of people when it comes to their team. Yeah, Rick, you're going to have to take it. Sox fans are going to make you wear it. And it felt like they were ducking out on it. And it felt like the last two years was a real big screw you to the fan base. I still want to give the boys and Pedro an opportunity. Because I really, I like the hire. And every time I've heard him speak. Every single time, I've been like, okay, that makes sense to me. One thing,
5: I just have to say this about the Tony La Russa tenure in Chicago is over the last two years, I'm thinking what could have been to the development of the players across the two-year stretch? What kind of things could have gone differently if a different head coach or a manager and different coaching staff was a part of this entire organization, and how would they value minor league development, understanding who's on the 40-man, and who could help in the near future? Are we on the same page with the organization? Are we on the same page of the front office with day-to-day prep and then long-term vision? Clearly not. That, I felt, was completely missing, and the fact that there wasn't a lot of authority from the manager's office across the two-year stretch that showed in player performance – it had me thinking, like, what could have been if players were motivated to play all the time and get better and add to their skill sets and develop? I feel like they missed out on two years of development. And now we're seeing into 2023 with, you know, I guess a lot of Sox fans feeling the same way. And that's doubt.
2: You, Mike, I'm with you. And I'm with Dan on that, too, that you can't get those years back. So how do you go about trying to win and trying to replace their, let's call it what it is. What the White Sox have done over the last two and a half years has been a breach of trust with their fan base. And it calls into question everything. It calls into question whether the owner actually is trying to win. And I don't ordinarily like making that assertion, but I think it's fair to wonder Can the general manager actually do the job? Or was his biggest contribution the tear down part of it? And is he a championship GM? Does the organization care about the fan base? That's why SoxFest hurt so much. Because it felt like after all of this bleep that White Sox fans have had to shovel. Over the last two years, it was like, yeah, too bad. So sad. No Sox Fest for you. Let me take some of your phone calls on this subject. 312-644-6767. Mariano, or is it Marino? I can't say. Mariano, you're on the score.
3: Hey, Lawrence. How you doing? Uh, Thanks for taking my call. So I just want to get in this White Sox conversation here.
2: I think it goes a lot deeper than just the Tony Lurza. I think it goes back to the Rick Renteria days on I I love watching that team back in 2020, 2019, because they played hard. They played fundamental baseball. But then once Larusa came in, it's like the souls were sucked out of the team. And uh, hopefully, you know, Pedro Garofalo gets the guys playing fundamental baseball again. And uh, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate you making the call. I mean, they fell up. Let's remember. Let's try and remember properly what happened at the end of 2020. The White Sox were the first team in baseball to clinch a spot in the playoffs, and then they slid all the way down to the seventh seed because they didn't play well. It's part of the reason that Ricky didn't get the next year to manage. It's part of the reason why upper management ownership felt like they needed to make a change, and then there was the way he managed in the playoffs that also played a role in that. What you said, I've heard echoed from other White Sox fans that it did feel like the soul was sucked out of the team. That something something was missing, and it's going to be hard for them to reclaim that. and And I'm wondering if people are even going to give them a chance to. Hey Jay, you're on the
1: score. Hey Lawrence, how are you? Great show. Um, I as a long, like long, forever White Sox fan. I was willing to go ahead and put up with the time that it took for them to rebuild, and I thought that they did a good job of it. And then all of a sudden, it was like, Ryan, it, it became really obvious his mindset as the owner of the team and what he was going to do with hiring who he to and trying to correct
2: some wrong
5: from 30 years ago.
2: And it completely changed Alright, Jay's underwater, but I, I think I know where you're going where it felt like the owner it's like the owner didn't like the vibe. And that's kind of scary to me too. Where the White Sox were in this space. I I think I don't think since two thousand and six that everyone was on board. The way that they were inside of that time of the rebuild, we were talking about it yesterday. How when Kopack got the call up, like what the walk-up ticket sales were like, because people wanted to go see Michael Kopeck. and they felt like they were finally getting, they were finally getting what they deserved. They were getting paid back for their patience. I've had Rick on this radio station in in, in happier times. And he admitted that he was shocked to see the attendance not dip during the rebuild because people were like, we get it. We understand what you're trying to do. Everything from the campaign itself that happened where change the game became a rallying cry for fans of the South Side Nine, it felt like the owner was like, I don't like that. I don't like that one bit. And you know what? Someone bring in the baseball police. And then the baseball police was here and it just kind of felt yucky. And there were some people who were like, well, this is exactly what they need. What? A guy who hasn't managed in 10 years walking in, not knowing rules and stuff. And that's what I meant by like his resume is managing the team instead of him managing the team. But I I I want Pedro Grifol to succeed. I want the guys on the team to succeed. But that means that you know the GM succeeds and the owner succeeds. And I'm dealing I'm dealing with that where it's like. Eh, Maybe you you should have your faces rubbed in it, the way that Cleveland did. But I I I'm still attached to the guys on this team, and I'm I really would like to see them win. But it gets harder and harder to root for that laundry because that laundry ain't been loyal, and they owe. Like, let's, let's keep it a hundred. They owe us. And I know that, that they don't see it that way, and it's always hard when someone else owns something that you love. They owe us. They owe us a better all-around effort. They owe better transparency. They owe us better decision-making. But at least in this offseason, it kind of looks like they got the manager part right. And now, hopefully, they'll stay out of his way. We can keep talking about this if you want to jump in. 312 6767 is the number. There's a piece of audio that you, the White Sox fan, we think will find interesting. So don't go anywhere. We're going to share it with you next on The Score.
0: Bernstein and Holmes, midday's 10-2 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. In Odyssey station, 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 Check swing, did he? Yes, he did. Strike three. He snapped off a breaking ball, Kopech did,
3: and struck out the side. That was good stuff.
2: Michael Kopeck says that he wants to go 200 innings. I appreciate him wanting to go 200 innings. How about we go 150? When we split the difference between 200 and what you were able to do last year. Hopefully, he stays healthy enough. 28 starts would be phenomenal for Michael Kopek. Speaking of which, Michael Kopek, Yasmani Grandal, and Ethan Katz were mic'd up on the White Sox broadcast a couple days ago. Here's what it sounded like.
4: Here's what I saw off of that pad. What I saw was a more complete pitcher overall. 100%. Not just a one trick pony. From last year to this year, there's been a ton of growth, right, understanding what it is that you need to do and where it is that you need to get to. Quite frankly, the changeups that you threw, and I know it's your, the, the last pitch you want to think about, the last time I saw you throw changeups like that was probably my first spring training. Yeah. Where, where we were back here with Cease, yeah. and I was like, damn, like that changeup was unreal. Yeah. Same thing on here. Yeah. It's not a out of the hand ball. Yeah. It, you commanded it down it it perfectly, and then all of a sudden, you got you also got the curveball working for you. Yeah. You got the slider, which is not this big one. It's just nice and sharp. Yeah. Guys are gonna be swinging at like that left and right. Your shapes are yeah. right phenomenal. And your okay.
5: command of your stuff for your fourth bullpen, your fourth bullpen to see you watch and command, not control. Command four pitches. He wasn't diving or doing anything. Just right. catching balls left and right. right. You give him so many options.
4: Uh-huh. Pitches. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like that one game where we started throwing the curveball. You remember? We yeah. had no idea what to do. That was just adding one. Right. I mean, you just added another one. There's no way they're going to be able to deal with four if they couldn't deal with two.
2: So that was Yasmani Grandal. Michael Kopech and Ethan Katz was the third voice that you heard in there. I think it's interesting them talking about how the change looks as good as it did when Grandal signed the biggest free agent contract in White Sox history. And that if Kopech can command and control, as Ethan Katz said, four pitches well obviously you become unstoppable if you can do that. here's the problem there aren't a lot of pitchers in baseball I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of five that have command of four pitches and I don't know that I could come up with five if you have command and control of two pitches, You can be one of the best starters in baseball. And if you can get to three, like, for example, look at Lucas Giolito, not in 2018 when he was the worst pitcher in baseball, but the years after, the two years after that, all Lucas had was fastball command and changeup command. Now, granted, he threw two different changeups, had that the regular changeup and then the parachute change up and look what happened once he lost command and control of his fastball. Yakatao is what happened. to Lucas Giolito. Lance Lynn throws one pitch. Although he's now he's adding to that. But j- just having fastball command makes you an effective pitcher. I get that Kopech's talent says, look, this guy might be able to command four pitches, but if he can command two with his velo, you would think that that would be enough. Mike Rankin, what did you hear inside of that mic'd up session with the White Sox, courtesy of WhiteSox.com?
5: Well, I think it's a big deal because the slider is secondary fastball slider pitcher primarily. We saw him working the curveball more last year, but he never throws a changeup. So if he incorporates a changeup, it's the equalizer for for him. I just like the fact that, you know, we we kind of piggyback this sound from what we heard earlier in the week. You know, Michael Kopeck feels like. Well, he said he felt thankful because of the experience he had pitching with a bad knee, forced him to use more of his body.
2: That he's more of a pitcher than a thrower now because of that experience. And I hope that
5: translates to the year because that's what I want to see. I want to see him mix in more curveballs, more off-speed pitches outside of his slider, and not rely on a 95, 96 mile an hour fastball. Me too.
2: I, I want to see that. But you also then have to be like, okay, is this going to change how his arm reacts? are those things that you have to worry about like physically with him I hope that I hope that what you're getting is a guy who has phenomenal stuff and now you're adding the pitching element to it and let's see what ends up happening this was part of Dylan Cease's development too clearly the stuff is overpowering But if you don't have fastball command, you're much easier to deal with than if you do.
5: And I wonder if, comparing the two, Cease, I'm convinced, was mechanical. I wonder if Kopech is also mechanical, or is it just feel, release point? Because Cease made noticeable adjustments to his
2: delivery, while Kopech is... Remain pretty much consistent. Yeah, but maybe maybe that's part of what he's saying. Right. Where the knee injury force changes in the way he delivers the ball, and he was able to kind of find something in that that maybe translates into him becoming a better overall pitcher.
5: Yeah, not focusing so much on gaining velocity, but allowing the pitch to work on its own. Like to use, to incorporate more spin, take more off, because he knows he doesn't have to throw the slider really hard because he's got the spin rate.
2: A couple of text messages that I want to get to you since people were nice enough to get in on our subject. 708 texter says, just imagine if Grafol took over for Renteria. I, as a fan, even with the team built wrong, would have felt they did the correct move and they could do their job. 503 texter says, your mean Mercedes turned a budding team then Larusa turned around and lost the team. The Yermee Mercedes thing was gross. Like the whole we we need to apologize to the twins. Like it was gross. He
5: berated Sebi Zavala in Minnesota.
2: Uh huh. Gross. And that's, that's
5: his example of leadership.
2: Gross. And and what was cool? Like there were moments with the White Sox over the last two years where I felt like you saw leadership in the dugout. Like Tim, at the time, like putting his arms around your mean and being like, do you? Don't worry about that. We got you. And then Grandal, last year, when they were dealing with with Josh, where he was ready to fight and was like, hey, Sebi, I might be fighting. So, get your gear on. And then Lance Lynn at the end of the year, where a Sox player gets thrown at, Lance Lynn is like, oh, we fighting. And everyone else is like, are we fighting? Oh, Lance is fighting. So, we all fighting. There have been some of those moments, but they felt few and far between. Don't worry, this is a topic that I'm sure we will circle back to. We will discuss more and and I plan on discussing it with Dan when he returns on Monday's show. We're gonna take a break. When we come back now, Cody Westerlin is going to join me. What was going on with the Bulls last night? Why does a win feel like a loss? What's the impact of Patrick Beverly? All questions will be answered by Cody Westerlin next here on the score.